0: What we're going to do this morning is I'm going to read to you uh, very quickly uh, the story of the resurrection from uh, the Gospel of John, and then we're going to look at uh, Mark uh, chapter 10 verse 45 and how the resurrection of Jesus Christ serves us, how Jesus serves us in that. Um, one of the things that I think uh, uh, every uh, well every Sunday, but particularly on Easter Sunday, you may not know this, but there is a parking lot here. At West End for the pastoral staff on Sunday mornings. Uh, it's reserved parking. It's in the loading dock uh, back here in the back. So all the pastors park back here in front of the dumpster. Uh, and that's because um, um, we're hoping that they'll mistake one of our cars for the dumpster and haul it away. <laughs> That'd be awesome, actually. <laughs> Um, but I I get here first every every Sunday early in, uh, uh, on on Sunday morning, and I walk from back there up through the the little garden out here over uh, to the entrance and into the the door. And uh, particularly at Easter when I park the car and get out, uh, I think every uh, Easter Sunday like was was it like this? Was it the birds were singing? Was it a cloudy day? Was it? Uh, uh, a day with no clouds. Was it? What, what? What was it like? And I often think, as I come up the sidewalk, I wonder. You know, uh, this is weird. And you can uh, forgive me for this, but sometimes I walk up the sidewalk and I think, what if I turn the corner here and Jesus is is standing there? Right. Uh, interesting thing to think about because, after all, He is alive. Uh, And it was, as Heather reminded us today, something utterly uh, unexpected. So here are these words from uh, John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. It'd be worth your while to look at the competition between those two boys, between Peter and John, that John wants us to know that he outran Peter uh, to, to the tomb. Uh, sound, sounds like people I know, right? to their homes. And then from Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, AJ, you can go ahead and put my notes up there. Um, there's a, a, One of the things about Easter that I love is is that it uh, it just smacks you in the face. You know, you might think about Christmas and you think, you know, Christmas is a nice holiday that we can all get on board with. Everybody likes a birth, right? Everybody likes the story of a sweet little baby in a manger. Everybody likes that. But Easter just jumps up and smacks you right in the face. First of all, you are recognizing the fact that Jesus died a horrible death on Good Friday, crucified. And then even beyond that, we, we read and we see that the central claim of Christianity is that this one who died, who was the Son of God, actually on the third day rose from the dead. He was really dead, and now he's really alive. And that is the central tenet of our faith. In fact, if you read the New Testament, everything that we believe about life and everything that we believe about our lives and everything we believe about the nature of reality hinges on that. Jesus was dead, and now he is alive forevermore. And so there are zillions of different reasons why people believe that, the eyewitness accounts, the, uh, uh, the, the change in the disciples' behavior, and that sort of thing. But I think it's important just for, for us to understand today why, why we believe it. I, I, and you should, you should wonder, you should think, why, why do I believe this? I will tell you I believe it uh, because no one expected this, not in the sense that no one ex- certainly expected a dead man to rise again. You know sometimes we think about these uh, first century rubes and their pre-scientific understanding of of reality, but they didn't look for dead people to get up out of the graves either. But there was no thought anywhere that rising from the dead in a bodily form was was something that would happen or that was something that was even a good idea. Greeks and Romans believed that the body was bad and that death was actually a good thing because it delivered your spirit, that part of you which is immaterial from the material. And so why would you ever want to be back in a body again? And Jews believed, some of them believed anyway, in the possibility of a great general resurrection someday uh, that the righteous people would be raised, but the thought that one person would be raised as the precursor to a general resurrection someday was never, ever considered. And so I believe in the resurrection. Certainly there were eyewitnesses. Certainly there were people who bore witness. There was all of those things, but I believe in it because no one expected it. If God were going to do something, uh, why would he do it in such a way that nobody was looking for it. Nobody was expecting it. And so I think it's important for you as you gather with family, as you, as you think together today about the significance of this day, ask yourself, why do I believe it? Because it is certainly uh, the most radical thing uh, that we could, that we could uh, uh, ever, um, uh, ever proclaim to people. Now, one of the things that you have to see about what happens in the resurrection, what you have to see about the life and death of Jesus Christ, is that is, that, that, that is first and foremost about serving us. Now, I, I, um, I expect to be served. And I am a, um, a stickler when I pay for something, or I am a customer for customer service. So when I've done something or when I've paid something, I expect to be served. So if if I'm your customer and you don't meet my standards of customer service, I will never give you my money again. My children don't like to go out with me sometimes uh, because they've heard me say this this is our quote in our family. They think they're gonna put this on my tombstone. You cannot be serious. <laughs> we can't help you with that. You cannot be serious. So they, they love that. And they just shake their heads and they hope, you know, dad, dad, would you stop it? Dad, dad, you're embarrassing us. So I expect to be served. I'm a stickler for customer service. If I pay you, you serve me. So um, on the other hand, it's very difficult for me to be served when it's free. Uh, this past week, we, we went to Florida and got to spend time with uh, our son, who's on staff at a church in Florida, and the people there were so great. They were just great. They gave us everything. They fed us. They gave us a place to stay. They entertained us. They did all these wonderful things. Now, now Tate's very comfortable with that because he's used to being served there, and, uh, uh, and he thinks he, you know this, they, they just love him. And, He's great, and so I was trying to figure out why are they doing this for us? Do they feel sorry for us? Do they? Do they think? Do they think you know poor, poor Shelby's? You know, uh, you know what? You know, because they look at Tate, and he never tucks his shirt tail in, and he only shaves once a week, and. And they think, oh, these poor people, you know, what, what, is, it, what is it about this that makes them think that, that, that they have to serve us? Because they were so generous to us. They just, they just gave us so much. And so, so uh, it, 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 beca- it becomes, after a while, it becomes uncomfortable. And I begin to think, oh, there's ulterior motives or there's any number of things that are going on here. So, so it becomes very difficult for me to be served. So Marty and I, as soon as we get in the car, get on the plane to fly back to Richmond, we're plotting, how are we going to pay them back? right? We got to get online. We got to get gifts. We got to do all this stuff. We got to pay these people back. I mean, you know, they certainly, they must expect something because they were so great to us. We got to pay them back. Plus, I'm not going to be beholden to anyone. I'm not going to owe anybody anything. And just because you're nice to me, I can outnice you, right? So it's very difficult for us to be served, especially when it's free. And so we're always tempted to pay back the service so that we can feel like we've added something, that a gift is not a gift, right? Because by taking a gift, we're often admitting that we needed something. Because some way, uh, because in some way it's, it, it, you know, we like to think that we've bought or earned what we have. And so we think, will the, will the giver think less of me if I do not or I cannot reciprocate, if I can't give back in some way? Now, we read this text about Jesus being a servant, and we think, that's very good. We love that text about Jesus being a servant, because we see in our mind's eye him serving the lepers. We see him serving the poor. We we see him feeding people. We, We see him caring for people who really needed it. And so that makes us feel good. We like that Jesus. He helps the needy, right? Uh. And so we're happy to think of this great moral example, right? But it gets uncomfortable when it becomes personal. Peter gets at that at the, at the Last Supper when Jesus strips down and gets in front of Peter and, and takes the form of a servant, of a slave, really, a household slave, and he begins washing his feet. And Peter's like, you're not going to do that. I'm not going to allow that. You will not serve me in that way. So I think uh, it becomes even more uncomfortable when we think of his service as overcoming that which we could never overcome. You see, that's the thing that is so hard for us, because if we admit the fact that Jesus is not just setting some sort of moral example, but, 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 but the truth of the gospel and the scandal of the gospel is that Jesus does for us what we could not do for ourselves, that Jesus does for us, serves us in ways that we could never dream of serving ourselves, that it, be, it says to us that in some way or another, in some, some form or another, I needed to be served, right? So, so one of the things that we miss about the gospel is uh, is that by, by receiving this, by, by trusting Jesus, by, by seeing his death as my death and seeing his resurrection as my resurrection, what happens here is, is that I'm saying that, that God doesn't want me to prove my strength uh, and, and, and my resources by serving him. Rather, God wants us to demonstrate his strength and his resources in our weakness and our poverty by admitting that we are the ones who need to be served. You miss out on so much if you think that Jesus' mission, as demonstrated in the resurrection, was to recruit people to work for God. Of course, that's what he came to do. Let's get a bunch of people to work for God. Let's get as many people as we can to, to go out and be this army for God and do what it is he wants us to do. When in fact, that's not the gospel at all. The gospel is exactly the opposite of that, that God comes to us in the form of Jesus Christ and serves us in ways that we could never serve ourselves, right? So Jesus' mission as demonstrated in the resurrection was not to recruit people to work for God, but to bring to us righteousness and life. listen, I want you to hear, if you don't hear anything else this morning, you need to hear this. The good news of the gospel is this. God does not need you. He doesn't need you. He doesn't serve you because he needs you. He serves you because you need him. Jesus came and lived and died and rose again to meet your needs. And really, the biggest question for us today is, what are our biggest needs? Um, And what I'm guessing is that you and I could have, uh, and certainly if Jesus were here this morning, which he is, uh, by his spirit, but you you and he and I could have a debate about what our needs are, what our real needs are. Now, I think you probably woke up this morning and you had a list of needs, things that you needed. Uh, I woke up this morning and I thought, I've been away from my computer. I've been away from the news. I've been away from things. You know what I need to do? I need to see how my 401k did this week. That's what I needed to do. That's what I needed to check out. That's what I needed to make sure was okay so that I could feel good about myself and feel like that my needs were being met and that I was in a comfortable place. Hey, Jesus, make the market go up for me. Hey, Jesus, fix this health problem. I'm down in my back a little bit. Hey, Jesus... Would you get me a better marriage? Hey, Jesus, would you get me a marriage at all? Hey, Jesus, would you, would you get me a baby? Hey hey Hey, Jesus, would you get me a better job? Nothing wrong with asking him to do those things. And in his kindness and in his goodness and in his gentleness and in his mercy and in his power, he often does. But the truth of the matter is, the real needs that we have are the two needs that he serves us with in his death and resurrection. So if you and I believe our biggest needs this morning are um, for good health or a good marriage or a good job or a child, then it's no wonder you feel kind of hollow and empty at Easter. And you look around and you see all these people who act like they're so happy. I mean, good night. I've never seen so many bow ties in the church. (laughs) Right? Right? There you go. There you go. Look over there. I'm seeing them everywhere. Bow ties. Uh, I would love to preach in a bow tie, but you know what they say about bow ties? I'll tell you later. (laughs) Yeah. People might not take you as seriously in a bow tie, you know, because... Clowns wear bow ties. You ever notice notice that? Anyway, I love bow ties. I I would wear one, but I'm afraid you wouldn't take me seriously. But if you think that what Jesus is supposed to do for you is all these other things, and you look around you and you see all this happiness, and you think, well, you know what? I don't care that he rose from the dead. This is what I need right now. And unless this need is met... Unless I can feel better about this, then you know what? What good is it? What good is it? You see, the resurrection of Jesus serves us at the two most pressing needs that we have. And what makes these two needs so pressing to us is not only that they are the things that will undo us ultimately, but we don't even know it. We don't even know it. Most cancers that kill people, and by the way, in America, you know, you've always heard that heart disease is the leading killer in America. It still is. Um, But in uh, 11 states now, cancer is the leading killer. The reason why it's the leading killer is because it's killing you before you ever feel it. It's killing you before you ever know it. And, and, and that is exactly the thing that you go through life and you think what I need today is a cheeseburger. <laughs> but what you need today is some surgery. So, so, so the, 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 the fact of the matter is that's exactly what's coming here. And we need somebody who knows our real situation to serve us in ways that we could never serve ourselves. So Jesus serves us Uh, through his life, death, and resurrection in these two ways, the removal of our sin and guilt so that we can have a right relationship reestablished with God, and he destroys the enemy death. So first one, the removal of sin and guilt and the establishment of a right relationship with God. Scripture tells us that if Christ is not raised, if he's still dead, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, right? Right? So what we proclaim today is not just that, that, that Jesus beat death and, and not just that we have hope because there's a good feeling and that sort of thing, but the fact of the matter is, what we recognize is, is that the resurrection is God's seal of approval, that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ has covered our sin. Um, I was reading today, I always read, uh, you know, different people's... Uh, Takes on Easter and things that they say about it, and I read something today that said, you know, the 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 you know, the resurrection means that God's uh, has accepted Jesus' sacrifice, so that all of your past sins are paid for. All those terrible things that make you feel guilty, all those terrible things that you think about, they're paid for. And I thought that's terrible. It's really terrible because that's not the gospel. You know what the gospel is, that, Jesus is, that, that, that the resurrection says that Jesus' death covers you for all those things you did in the past, the things you're doing right now, and the things you'll do tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. It's that scandalous, and it's that good, right? So one of the things that we have to say about this is that the resurrection says to us, unlike almost anything we would ever say, is that Jesus' death is a smashing success. A smashing success. And that it is our hope that our guilt and that our broken relationship with God is healed once and for all, because he did that for us. He served us in that way. So he serves us in dying and rising again, and we could never work our way back to God, and only he could make the way for us, and he has done that. Secondly, the destruction of the enemy death. On Friday night at our Good Friday service, which... Uh, is just a wonderful service. We sang that American folk song, What Wondrous Love Is This? What Wondrous Love Is This? Oh my. Soul. Okay, you know that song. There's a line in that song that says, And when from death I'm free, I'll sing on, I'll sing on. Now, what happens to me in worship services in church often probably doesn't happen to many of you, but I get stuck on things like this. So everybody else is moving along in the worship service. And I'm still on this line. Everybody else is doing something else. They're taking up the offering. There's somebody up there preaching. Oh, it's me, and I'm preaching, but I'm not thinking about what I'm preaching about. I'm thinking about this line. I do that all the time. You would. It's a good thing you can't tell what I'm thinking while I'm talking to you. <laughs> um, and I'm like, and when from death I'm free, I'll sing on. And I was like, oh, Jesus, Jesus. When am I going to be free from death? When am I going to be free from death? I live in the land of the dying. We all live in the land of the dying. When are we going to be free from that? Not because we morally make ourselves better. Not because we do a good job. But we'll be free from the from from the land of death. We'll be free from death when he raises us from the dead. And so his resurrection says he's already begun that process of freeing us from death. Um, We and this whole nature around us, this whole universe, this is a great illustration for Easter, are like insects caught in a web. Like insects caught in a web. Did you know that a spider's web is the strongest, has the strongest, what they call tensile strength of almost any fiber in the universe? Did you know that? And so it is such a powerful thing that bugs who weigh a lot more than the spider and a lot more than the web get stuck in it and they can't get out. And the sting that, that comes uh, uh, from, from that spider is, is something powerful and dramatic. So, so the fact is we live, sin holds us like an insect in a web and it will be our undoing. It will be the thing that undoes us ultimately, right? But Jesus overcomes that for us because we are united to him because he belongs to us and we belong to him. We rest in the fact that he has overcome death for us. And so he has set us free from the sting and the power of death. Nothing is better, nothing is harder, nothing is more wonderful, and nothing is more profound than to stand with a family over the deathbed of a loved one and say, Jesus loves this dust. And to dust, this loved one will return. And Jesus, in his love, will raise this dust from the ground. He serves us in ways that we could never serve ourselves. So the question is, the question is, would you let him serve you? Or would you rather live independent, strong, uh, uh, in and of yourself, making it in this world, without any sense at all, that you need to be served? Would, would, would you, is it possible that the struggles and the grief and the difficulty and the things that you experience today are things that are God's mercy to you as hard as they may be? I, I wanna thank the person who was sitting over here this morning whose phone went off earlier in the service. Not because I want to embarrass you or anything like that. That was awesome. You know why it was awesome? Because Marty reached in her purse and turned her phone off. Because it's one thing if your phone goes off. It's another thing if the pastor's wife's phone goes off in the middle of church, right? Because you're probably terribly embarrassed, and you're probably even more terribly embarrassed now that I'm thanking you in front of the church for doing that. As hard and as as embarrassing as that is, it served a purpose. God used that. Saves me and her a tremendous amount of embarrassment. So we are grateful for your embarrassment. (laughs) Will you let Jesus serve you? Will you let him do for you what you cannot do for yourself, And will you simply receive it? Will you simply say, I'll take what you've got, and I'll trust you with my life? After all, as we said, he doesn't need you. He loves you. You need him. Let's pray. Lord, we need a sense today that you uh, have served us in this way. I I pray today particularly for the guilty uh, and uh, for the grief-stricken, that you would encourage their hearts by seeing and um, uh, reminding them today of your love and your care and your mercy. We thank you today for uh, how uh, you uh, did for us what we could never do for ourselves. In fact, Lord, you did for us what we would never even think that we needed. And so we are grateful uh, for that today. I pray that you would uh, bless us as we gather this afternoon as families. I pray uh, that you would bless us uh, if we spend this afternoon alone. But in any way, Lord, I pray that the glory of the empty tomb, uh, the profound nature of the love of God in serving rebellious sinners would make us glad, would give us hope, and would give us joy that transcends uh, the hard things that we experience uh, um, in this life. So bless us, we pray. Uh, The Spirit that raised you from from the dead, pour him out upon us, uh, and give us clarity today on the truth of your love and your power for us. So bless us today, we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.